0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au.
1: It's, uh, it's such a, a blessing having uh, Pastor Dan Gorey with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure to have him here. I've already heard what he's about to preach, and I've got I to tell you, um, it's, it's good for us. This is a really, really good word for us to hear, in Northwest. So um, yeah, Dan, I've known Dan for a little while, and in fact, Dan, I believe last time you preached here, uh, we weren't here. And I believe that you told everybody that I was at home playing Xbox in my underpants. And uh, so I've got a photo. No, just kidding. Um... But uh, it's uh, it's awesome, and I didn't get to hear what you preached last time, so I'm really glad I get to hear what you preached today twice. That's really good. Um, and Dan and Hannah, uh, you guys were the youth, so you grew up in C3 Corumbin, and then became the youth pastor, and young adult pastor, the exec pastor, and now you guys are the lead pastors there, and... Uh, Yeah, these guys are awesome. I love the teaching gift that is on his life and how funny he is. He's funnier than me, and I don't really like that about him, but it's good. It's good. (laughs) So why don't you come up, Dan, and let's welcome him as he uh,
0: comes to bring the Word. Bless you, man. Epic. Can we thank your amazing pastors, Pastors Darren and Becky? You guys are amazing. We love you. So good to have you here. Darren got some pants on for today. They turned the Xbox off and he's in the house of God. And so Hey, good to see you. Uh, I think it was about four, four and a half years ago uh, we're at last time. But uh, we love love your church so much. Pastors Keith and Janet were out overseas for about 10 years, eight or 10 years. And so uh, love, love, love what is happening down in Newcastle. I, they always came out just boasting about you guys and What's happening here and everything that God is doing. And so I love to get to come down every few years and just see the, the growth and the people and see you guys again and, and see what God's what's God doing here is amazing. Amen? Amen. And like it is truly phenomenal. I need you to really see what's going on here. Like this is, that band is amazing. Todd, my man, that voice of an angel, like do they know? Do they know that I pre-recorded that yesterday and you were just miming or not that? Yeah, they do. Okay, good. You guys, are not, you guys. all right, sweet. So I was singing in the uh, bathroom, pre-recorded it. But dude, you did phenomenal. No, that's amazing. Uh, incredible. And such a, a beautiful group of people, such a great community. And so how many people are thankful for what God is doing in their lives right now? Right now. God is at... Work. I think one of the greatest revelations I got, to be completely honest, was when uh, I'm getting a bit off topic, but my life when I was, uh, my brother had a prophecy for me when I, was, when I was 18, and it was one of those ones you don't want. And he's like, I just see you wearing rags on the outside, but gold and jewel being formed around who you are on your chest. Uh, and so you're covered in rags, but you are becoming gold and jewel. And I was like, stuff that. And anyway, he's like, I see it happening when you're 22 and I was 18. When I was 22, I won't go into detail, but my life was just completely, every aspect... just trashed. It just fell apart in almost every single way. And I wanted out, wanted out of ministry. It was the first time I've ever had depression or anything like that. And I truly found the grace of God at my rock bottom. And I saw that in the worst situation, God is a good God still. And my situation doesn't determine his goodness. And so even what you're going through right now, you get a situation whether to say whether today is a good day or not, whether you are in a good season or not, you get to start to see that because God's good, right? And we're going to look at that a bit more today. And uh, it is just so good to be with you. My wife sends her love, Hannah. We've been married nearly eight years and uh, we've got two little kids. Dawn just turned five and started. We we do it differently in Queensland uh, where you guys do part-time prep full-time kindergarten, then grade one. We do part-time kindergarten, full-time prep, and then grade one. I don't know why. Probably just some of that conflict of maroon cockroach and uh, New South Wales. We just don't like doing things like you do, like the Americans, just to rebel against Europe, drove on the other side of the road, just because we can. And so we, we flipped it. So my daughter just started prep, and I, I feelings came out. I didn't know we're there. Like, she I'm I'm like fantastic. Five days a week uh, with babysitters. Like, this is gonna be amazing. I can't wait. She gets dressed up in like I'm, and I'm you're a school teacher, I'm not calling you a babysitter. My mother-in-law is a teacher. I know how much effort you guys put in. You're the saving grace of the world. But she gets dressed up in a uniform. I drop her off, and I'm like, this is awesome. Showing her around. As I go to say goodbye, as I let go of her hand, I'm like ripped my heart and this immediate feeling hits me like if any of you kids are mean or tease my little girl I will go to prison coming I will come back and I will do I will crush I will make you pay if you are mean to this little princess and she's fine she's a loving life I'm at work and I'm like I can't concentrate I can't think my little girl what if they're mean to her and I'm like, so pray for me right now we're just gonna actually finish up Todd if you can sing again I'm just gonna all right Oh, good Lord. So we're in that season. My boy Abel is two and a uh, half right now, two and a bit. He turned two in October. And uh, it's it's hilarious. Uh, uh, how many parents have a, had a boy and a girl, regardless of how old you are? and they are, Yeah, the contrast is great. I mean, you guys, boy, then twin boys, and then you went again. So that's just like, there's an anointing right there. Hallelujah. Uh, you guys are amazing. I'm stopping at two. Uh, and so anyway, so we, our boy is two and a half, Abel and it's hilarious the the difference there. dawn at 2 was like full sentences she's like daddy daddy look at the hippopotamus on the tv and i'm like what the heck how are you talking so well Abel at 2 is like da 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 da, da. i'm like oh hello fairly different right there and so no joke i would wake up for like good 6 months of last year i would wake up at 5am to da 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 daddy da da daddy Dad. He's just sitting on his cart, biting the edges, like Dad, Daddy. I walk in, I'm like, Buddy, what is it? And he's like, like, Daddy, dadda. And He's like insulting me, like mocking me, like I woke you up and I was I did not even need you, but I just wanted to tick you off. And I'm like, It worked. And so I just like elbowed, severely disciplined him. He went back to sleep for a while. No, just kidding. That's a joke. Come on, now. We're in church. We can... But now he's he's changed it. Somehow along the line, he learned. Uh, he learned let's go when he's, he's sick of the situation and he wants to change. And so Dawn's at school having a meltdown the other day, and he's there, Mommy, let's go, let's go. But now for the last three weeks, I wake up to him almost every day, Daddy, let's go, Daddy, let's go. I'm like, oh, I'll let you go, all right. Like, I will let you out of the car, open the front door. You can go for it, mate. You go for a walk. I'm sleeping just a little bit longer. <laughs> Mom and Dad need some more. Anyway, so that's the season I'm in. Uh, which is good, as Pastor Darren was saying, I've been at the church my whole life, and uh, youth pastor, young adult pastor, exec pastor, we did a three year transition, and so the four and a half years ago, our founding pastors, Eric and Christine Harrison, absolute heroes in the faith, I know you guys know them. Well, uh, they handed them the church, and they're still there, and they are just so amazing. They are cheering us on. They're supporting us. He's preaching for me this morning, uh, and so we just love them with all our hearts, which is good to hear a good success story, uh, transition story every now and again. Amen? So it's exciting to be here. Uh, I'm very honored to get to open up the book of James for you, and I love that you guys are going through a book in the Bible. I love it. How many people know that certain churches? It's very easy to drift away and be like, "Let's talk for a month on time management." It's like, "Okay, that's that's good gospel right there." I'm pretty sure that's going to help me get the kingdom. But anyway, I, I love when we wrestle with Scripture. Here's what I love: is that we stop forming and, and creating theology and views on God just on our, of our life situation. Because how many people know how easy that is to do, like. I study theology. I like it. Did diploma, then degree, and then just finished my master's 18 months ago. No desire to go back to the academic world for a while. But I love wrestling with theology. But here's the thing. You've got to go to the Bible and let it shape you. Otherwise, if you're not studying it, you're going to start to shape it. And you'll be like, no, no, no. My life sucks right now because this is going on, this is going on. Oh, my life's awesome because this is going on, this is going on. Where's some verses to back up my thoughts? That's a dangerous place to be in what instead we want to do is go to scripture and say lord i am the clay you are the potter shape me mold me thank you god for second second timothy 316 the whole word of god is holy spirit inspired and it's good what's it good for though like tickling your back no it's good for reproof rebuke correction <laughs> it's good for shaping you it's good for telling you things you don't want to hear but you need to hear And so that's what I love when together we're going to look at a book in the Bible in context. And so we're not being buffet Christians who pick and choose what we want when we want. We walk up to the salad bar of the Gospels like, I don't like that. Thank you. Where's the Morton Bay bug lobster? And uh, we're not going to do that. (laughs) We're not going to be those Christians who, uh, yeah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I like that one. Everything works out together for good for those who love me. I like that one. Fantastic. He's going to wipe away every tear. I like that one. The rest can stay there. They challenge me too. We're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, we're going to look at the book of James together. And that excites me as we stop. And you're going to come to some passages that st- to struggle. And you're going to wrestle. And please know that's a good wrestle. That's what Scripture calls sanctification, the process of being made holy. Speaking about it a bunch yesterday at the young adult conference, the tension that should exist between you have been made in a moment positionally holy. You cannot be any more loved than you are the moment you put your face in the finished work of the cross. You are fully accepted. You are a son and daughter of the most high God in a moment. It says you've been adopted into his family, received the Holy Spirit. Romans eight thirteen to 15, the spirit inside you of adoption cries out, Abba, Father. That happens in a moment. You've been made positionally holy and then the rest of your life, being made practically holy. It's a process, but you've got to put some effort in. And so that's why I love that we're going to go through the book of James together. If we've got uh, a verse on the screen, let's look at uh, verses 1 to 18. It's a bit of a marathon, but you can come with me, right? I'm going to read out of the NLT this morning because uh, I prefer to preach out of it, mainly because I really want to help uh, new Christians and non-Christians follow with what I'm saying. Even if they want to disagree with me at the end, at least they know what's going on. So that's why I go to NLT. I also encourage new Christians, if you're new to the faith or you don't get it yet, Grab a new Living Translation Bible. Go to, if you're new to Christianity, go to the book of John. Uh, saying to the other congregation this morning, I say to our church at least once every two weeks, sometimes weekly, is that uh, I always point people to John because John's written at the end of the first century and John had no desire to prove that Jesus was real. He walked the earth. He did miracles. No one's debating that a 100 years later. What they're debating is that he was the only true God. And so a thing called Gnosticism's coming in where they're trying to prove that, hey, Jesus was God, but you can be God too. Like, we can all be gods, right? And John's like, no, he's the God. And so he starts with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things created through Him, without Him, not anything was made. So go to John, dig deep, and find out that Jesus is the one true Lord and Saviour, and then the rest of Scripture will make a whole bunch more sense. And so, James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, I don't is consider it an opportunity for great joy. You can go ahead and with a black nico or a text and just cross that out. Like that's not a part of our prosperity gospel, amen? And so you can write next to it uh, when blessings and chocolate of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I joke, I'm sorry. Scripture shape us. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you and He will not rebuke you for asking. He's a good God, amen? How many people love we have a generous God? When you ask Him, be sure that you ask that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalties is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. How many people are enjoying this? Beautiful heat wave right now. Thank the Lord for air conditioning. I could preach horribly today and you're not going anywhere. That's a good thing to know. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you're like, man, they're going to walk out if they don't like this. And today it's like, I could preach pure blasphemy and you're like, air conditioning, Dan. Like, I don't agree with you, but there's aircon. I'm not going anywhere. So, anyway. The hot sun of Newcastle rises, the grass withers, a little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. That was a joke, by the way. Please don't leave. Verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God never is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Thank you, Lord, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes and casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, catch this, became his prized possession. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, you are so good to us. We don't deserve your love. We haven't earned it. But you are so good to us. It's who you are. I pray today that our heart would would shift and relocate to a position of worship and adoration for who you are and what you're doing in our world. Help us love you even more. Help us see you clearer. Help us see what you've called us to clearer. Help us see what you've not called us to even clearer. We pray you get all the glory and the praise from how we live. In your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Darren, what time do you want me done? Sorry, just so I remember. Twelve-ish? You guys happy with twelve-ish? I love it. Come on out. I, I, I'm from the Gold Coast. We, I, I'm tempted to be up here in thongs and shorts as well. You guys happy with 12-ish? Let's go to 12-ish. Half it out. Let's do it. James, what a great book. Amen. And so, James, if you don't know, it's the first book written in the New Testament. It was believed to be written in AD 48, to AD 50, somewhere in there. And so I think this is really crucial that we do stop and look at what is the first thing written to the church? Scripture is not chronological. It's kind of in the order they decided to canonize it. And so what instead we see is this book, James, way, 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 way back is the first thing written to Christian believers. So today is imperative that we stop and look at what message did God, the Holy Spirit, want spoken to the church straight away If you're into apologetics and it's something called, you know, kind of uh, proving the authenticity of Scripture or God's reality or Jesus was real, that's something called apologetics. This is actually a fantastic point because what we see again and again is James, while Jesus was alive, sorry, James is the brother of Jesus. Half-brother, obviously, uh, didn't have Holy Spirit conception like Jesus did, but half-brother of Jesus. And here's a big thing. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah while Jesus was alive. He's like constantly criticizing him. I think it's in John 7. They're like, what are you going to do now? Go up to the temple and prove yourself <laughs> again? Like, are you going to back yourself? Are you going to do miracles? Hey, big brother, you jerk. Like, there's, there's all this tension going on. At one point, Jesus speaking. It says, like, his, his brothers, uh, Mary and the brothers and sisters were there to take him away. Like, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. Yet something shifted because his history will tell us that Jesus died. History will tell us they couldn't find a body. History will tell us that he didn't walk the earth much longer after that. Fifty days later, he was gone. Even atheist historians will say, yes, Jesus was a real person. Yes, he died a Roman crucifixion. Yet something clearly transpired for his brother to not only say, yeah, he was God and the Messiah, but go a step further and say, I'm willing to die for that faith. I have two older brothers. I love them with all my heart. I am not here this morning going, John is the savior of the world. And if you want to kill me, I am not denying it. Like, I'm not going through that pain for a lie. It's not happening. However, what we see in history will also speak about the martyrdom of the apostles. And once again, I love the fact that John's the only one to die of old age. And John is also the only one who was at the foot of the cross with Jesus. It proves what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, that if you try and hang on to your life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll actually find it. And the one willing to die with Jesus was the only one who died of old age. Everyone else was martyred horribly because they ran away. And so what we see there... History will speak about James. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. It says they brought him up onto the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and said, renounce your brother, renounce your faith. Instead, he started preaching the gospel. People started getting saved, so they pushed him off the pinnacle of the temple. He was badly injured but didn't die, and so they went down and stoned him to death and beat him with clubs. This guy died a horrible death holding on to the truth that his brother was the saviour of the world. Massive. And now we're going to look at the first passage in James with those eyes and with fresh fresh revelation and fresh feeling around what was so important. What was the first thing God wanted spoken to his church, his bride, his body. And what we actually see is a bunch of lessons and things we should know about trials. Isn't that amazing? It's not what we would think, right? Like now that you're in the Lord, and clearly the Lordeth doesn't wanteth you to have any problemeth in your lifeeth, that's what I would want. Like clearly God doesn't want you to have a tough day, schnooky. Clearly, God doesn't want you to be in any difficult times, my little love petal. What instead, now that you're a Christian, it's all about rainbows and butterflies, and your bank account will overfloweth, and you will never get sick again in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Hallelujah. James chapter 1, now that we never suffer anymore, and now that we never struggle ever again, and now that no one ever brings us grief or problems, let us just rejoice in the Lord. That's what I want written. I'm not lying. Like, I wish that was there. Instead, James is this kind of weirdo who's like, guys, smile when you're in an awful day. It's like, shut. You know that friend? We've all got that friend. Like, how was your day? Awful. But but the sun's out. Like, aren't you happy about something? Shut up. Get away from me right now. Like, James is kind of pushing the button. James wants us to rejoice in trials. And that's, here's what we need to see. We need to see. We need to see. This is the exact opposite message that our culture is screaming at us. And until we see that, we don't embrace this. If you're here and you are over, I think it was 55, I'm not going to, Point you out. but uh, And trust everyone younger, I'm going to get you in a minute. But if you're over 55, your researchers are calling the very first me generation. It gets worse for the young guys. Don't rejoice just yet. they are the first me generation. We're the, we're the first generation that researchers have discovered are not as focused on leaving an inheritance to their kids. But instead, after working like 40 years and starting businesses and all the sacrifice, they're like, now it's me time. I'm getting that new luxury car. I'm going on that cruise around the Greek islands with a pina colada in my hand. And I'm going to wear those colorful board shorts. I'm going to enjoy life, baby. What was going to be your inheritance? It's mine. And honestly, I say you've earned it. Like you did well. You did work for 40 years. And now you're not focused as much on like as a whole, as a whole. Some of you might be as a whole on leaving something for the next generation. As a whole, there's more emphasis on I just want to really enjoy the rest of my life. I want to go to the Eiffel Tower and I know I can't climb it because my knees hurt and I'm on fish oil tablets. But however, I want to get there and take a <laughs> selfie and just be like, wow, that's the best four thousand dollars I've ever spent. I love this. With the me generation. And but everyone under 35. Don't, you didn't get away with it, unfortunately. What they, they're the me generation. We are what they're calling for the very first time, super me generation. <laughs> not only do we not want to walk, work for forty years and save up and d- put in the hard yards, and now we want what our parents are doing now. We want that now. Oh, man, like, I'm sitting here with this 2014 Hyundai. It's so old and broken. My dad's got this new Lexus. I want that now. I deserve it. I deserve that holiday. Seriously, I don't know why they're off cruising. I deserve to go on that Europe trip, and I deserve... I don't want to stay at a I deserve to stay the Hilton. I deserve to eat out at breakfast all the time. I deserve it. Come on. Seriously. Seriously. I've got so many young adults like this. You just, Dan, you just don't know how hard my life is right now. Like... I'm going back to uni soon, and I only had, like, a four-month holiday. Like, what do they expect from me like, recover? <laughs> expect me to, like, recover in four months? Do I know how traumatic last year was? I did three subjects. It was, like, there was a season where there was, like, six assignments due. And, like, you know, I mean, when I was getting up at nine, I was just still really tired. <laughs> and I was just, like... It was just so busy. There was just so much on. And I tried to work. I tried to work for a season. I had 12 hours as a barista and clean. And 12 hours on top of study. That's hard. Like, I, I can't do that. And I, I just don't know. I, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take a year off. I think I deserve a year off. I'm just going to go and travel. I'm going to find the real me again. Oh, I hate that statement with everything inside me. <laughs> just so you know, really quickly, I'm just going to bounce. on this. The real you is not who you are away from problems. <laughs> oh, I just want to slap some men in that church who are like, I'm just going to go and find the real me again. You know, like away from my wife and work and kids. I'm like, that's not you. Some fake you you're inventing in Thailand away from all your issues with XX budget. Like, that's not you. You're here now. And if you don't like what you're seeing in the mirror, well, you can change you, but just stay here. But we're in a generation that feels we're deserving joy, happiness, goodness, now and what James says the very first thing that God wanted written to us the church was hey guys expect trials life won't be easy life won't be good I've never promised you it would be good the prosperity gospel that says that you should always be happy and healthy and 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 life should be amazing is just garbage there's a better gospel than that that even when life sucks I'm going to give you something this world can't give you I'm going to give you joy Count it all joy when you enter various trials and tribulations. Here's the thing. Number one, we're going to talk about what we're going to choose as mature Christians. Number one, we're going to choose joy. Choose joy. Too many people think that joy is the absence of trials in your world. Joy is not the absence of trials in your life. It's the presence of God's hand in your life. Last week I'm sitting there and just a reminder if anyone's thinking about pastoring a church one day that it is not like, I remember thinking growing up, like I can't wait to pastor church. It's going to be fantastic. How foolish I was. When the DeLorean time machine is invented, I'm not going to go back and change his mind. I'm just going to, like, open hand, slap right in the face, the young 14-year-old Dan, and be like, wake up to yourself. So, it was a baptism of fire coming into this role, and I love it with all my heart, but I'm sitting there last week. One day, I'm sitting there one day, young adult, young family I know, the wife's cheated on the husband, and the husband's depressed. He's never been depressed. Press and they don't know what they're doing. They've got two young kids. That's my role, sitting with them, helping them see that God is still good in this situation. Literally the same day, I'm leaving there to go over to have lunch with our executive pastors. He's like my second dad. He lost his son. My best friend died of cancer 10 years ago at the age of 23. Now his wife, our executive pastor, has had cancer come back. They had it all last year. They got given, they went into uh, remission. There was great news. They were free of it. Now it's come back back and they're finding the second journey a lot tougher to have faith in. How can we experience joy when life sucks? We see that joy is different to happiness. Joy is not the absence of trials in your world. It's the presence of God's hand in your world. Joy is not a fruit of your circumstance. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter five twenty one. 21, the fruits of the Spirit, our love, joy. Number two, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. What we see is the number two thing apart from the love of God is He wants us to have joy on our hardest day, and our worst day, at our rock bottom. We get to choose joy. Happiness is a product of everything in your world going well. And once again, the lie that we have brought, in, brought into this lie is as long as my finances are good and my relationships are good and my mental health's good and church is good and my, my possessions are good, then God is good and God is happy with me. And that is a lie from the enemy that is coming through culture. Those things create happiness and happiness is circumstantial. But if I take one of those away, is your joy or happiness, is it gone? Is that a good feeling you were having? Is it gone? That's a sign to you and I that you were relying on happiness more than spiritual joy. That's not a rebuke. It should just be opening our mind like, wow, I'm actually not experiencing kingdom joy right now. I'm experiencing happiness because life is easy and good. Comfort and pleasure are not necessarily signs that God is with you and He's for you and He loves you. That's why when Paul had the thorn in the flesh, he's like, three times I begged him to take it away. And he's like, why would I do that? (laughs) You've never prayed this much. You've never lent into me this much. And he's like, like seriously. He's like, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Why would I take this thing away? My grace is sufficient for you. I've got more than you need in this time. I don't know if you like this message, Christian, but, but know this. You don't know Jesus as saviour until you realise you need saving. You don't know Jesus as healer until you need healing. You don't know Jesus as provider until you need providing for. You don't know Jesus as liberator until you're chained up and need freedom in your life. That's where joy comes in. When you hit rock bottom and you say, I can't help myself out of the situation, but God can. Choose Joy. Monday morning, when you wake up tomorrow, we get an opportunity to determine what our day looks like and not let our day determine what we look like. Choose joy. Second thing we're going to choose, right, Christian brothers and sisters, we're going to choose faith. It says in uh, and, and verse 6, that let anyone who asks God, just make sure he asks wholeheartedly in God. He's got faith in God. Let him not doubt like a wave tossed to and fro in the sea. We're going to choose faith. We're going to choose faith. So these people I was talking about last week in our church, I'm sitting there and what I realise is, is so many people, when they go through a faith battle, feel like they have to muster up more faith. They're like, oh, oh I've got to believe more. I've got to believe more. I've got to believe more. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get front footed and believe more. And what I would like to argue instead is that faith isn't something we muster up. But faith is something we shouldn't even focus on. And faith is a natural byproduct of us focusing on Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 12. Sorry, if you we had uh, Hebrews 12 there before. Sorry, I, I know I didn't touch on it. But Hebrews 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the initiator and perfecter of our faith. Some versions will say, how good is this? Don't focus on faith. Focus on Jesus and watch faith rise. When I'm sitting in a faith battle, I don't need to be like, Dan, have more faith. Dan, have more faith. Dan, have more faith. What do I need to do is know that he still holds the world in his hands. What I need to do is see that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I need to do is look at him and see that he will never leave me nor forsake me. What I need to do is look at him and see that he has all authority and all power. What I need to look at him and see is that every good and perfect gift comes from above. What I need to do is look at him and see that he's my good shepherd and he loves me. What I need to do is look at him and he's still saying, come to me everyone who's thirsty and drink living water and I'll do a work in your heart and out of you will flow rivers of living life. Faith is rising in every one of us right now. And we haven't tried to build up faith. We haven't gone, Urgh, like, Urgh, do it. Like, I'm not trying to muster up faith. I'm just forgetting my situation and looking at my Savior. And going, but oh, yeah, there's some rocks I'm building my life on. I'm not building my life on the sand. The sand of my situation, the sand of my abilities, the sand of my finances, the sand of my, my mental health, the sand of how I think, the, the sand of that life. Stop that. I've got one, I'm going to build it on the rock. And life, no matter how, what he makes the house look like, it's his call. But it's not falling over. I can guarantee you that. We have to choose faith. And what they contrast faith with is like a wave. It's like a wave tossed to and fro in the sea. It's like you're either, you're either a person of faith or you're a wave. And so if this wave is tossed around by their situation, once again, they don't determine where they're going, but their circumstance and surroundings determine how they're feeling and what's going on. Instead, to contrast, that faith must be just planting your feet and staring at Jesus. So if you're in a faith battle right now, I beg you, don't even worry about what to do next, what to do this, what to do that. What. Monday morning, even this afternoon, we're going to plant our feet. We're going to stop and stand and stare at Jesus. Let faith rise. Let faith come. Let faith come. He is the author. He is the perfecter. He is the initiator. He is at work in you. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He hasn't left you or abandoned you. He's still at work. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Brothers and sisters, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that, Lord? How do I have faith? How do I work out my salvation? Verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what pleases Him. How do you have faith? You let God work in you. (laughs) If He's the author and perfecter, you can't do it. But you have to let Him in. You have to ask, you have to expect. Because he wants to build faith. And once again, I don't, have, I don't have faith in my faith. That's a big thing. I'm going to get through this situation. Why? Because I believe. You've got faith in your faith. I'm going to get through this situation. Why? Because regardless of the outcome, God is holding my hand and leading me through this storm. Because even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. I choose faith. And my faith isn't in the outcome even. It's a big one. Otherwise, we are telling God what the outcome should be. So therefore, He's only the the initiator, but He's not the author and perfecter. So instead, my faith is in His character. That's a big shift, right? Right. Because once again, like my best friend who passed away from cancer, how is God good if my outcome didn't come when we were praying and fasting and taking up offerings, doing 24-hour prayer meetings? How is God still good and faithful and a saviour and he's still a healer the next day? Will I rest in his sovereignty? So I have faith in who he is, not in what my future looks like. All I know is he holds my future in his hands. So whatever may come, it's good. Because he is creating it. Amen? We're going to choose joy. Church, we're going to choose faith. Third thing, we're going to choose God. This is a big one. This is a big one we got to wrestle with. Oh, that's a quote. I didn't put the verse up there. Uh, verse 13 to 15. That's my fault. I forgot to send it through. Verse 13 to 15. Actually, see how incredibly savvy these screen guys are. Are they onto it? Look at this. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God never is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, and they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and sin is allowed to grow. It gives birth to death. We'll stop there. I hear too many people sitting there and, um, you know, preachers and writers, and I I know their heart behind it, but I just need to think a different way about this statement. It actually affects me and I don't like it when people are preaching and saying that our number one goal in this life is to be like God. And I just can't rest in that or find joy in that because is instead what we see scripturally. In Daniel, it speaks about when Satan tried to take over heaven and it said that he rose up and tried to be like God. Obviously, God laid the smack down. If you're a Christian, we know the story. He was cast down. We don't know the chronological order. We don't know the series and timeframes. All we know is that by Genesis 3, he's in the garden somehow. And when he comes up to Adam and Eve, what's his temptation? He was tempted to be like God. He comes to Adam and Eve, and we, don't, we, we focus on the fruit too much. Instead, what was the temptation? Eat this, and you will be like God. That's the initial temptation he had in heaven that led to destruction. That's the same temptation he gave to man. that Romans chapter five verse 12 to 20 will speak about that one temptation brought sin and death to all mankind. It was not the action of eating fruit. It was the heart motive of "I want to be God. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge." That, I would argue is still the underlying cause and and temptation every one of us still faces now. So let no one say when they're tempted, I'm being tempted by God. No, you're not. James is just like smacking down. No, you're not. You're tempted because something in here is going, I want to make the call. I want to be in control. I want to do what I want when I want to give myself joy, security, satisfaction. And that, if you you don't kill that desire in your heart to take back control from God sitting on the throne of your heart, that's a desire. If you don't take that control back and and surrender that to God, then what happens is you entertain it and one day you will give the action of sin. Sin's just going to keep producing death in your life. So what we have to do when that temptation comes, once again, we're going to choose God. Because I've got two options. I'm either going to choose God or I'm going to choose me as God. I want to choose to be like God, or I want to choose to be with God, but see Him as the only God. Do you see the difference? So the underlying thing in all of this, all of this, we we have to see that the number one goal in life for us is not to be like God. The number one goal in our lifetimes is to be with God. When you were created in Genesis chapter 1, please know this 100% confidence, God did not need you. C.S. Lewis calls it the dance. It's one of my favorite pictures ever. I just love it. He says, before creation existed, for eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was, was existence. There was perfect holiness. There was perfect love. There was perfect power. There was perfect unity existed in the dance. And when he created Adam and Eve, it wasn't because he was lacking and he needed something. It was an invitation to mankind to come and join me in the dance. And so he didn't. He didn't need us. I I constantly have to challenge this way of thinking and people because it's like, no, no, no. He created us to worship Him. He needed us to worship Him. Yeah, right. Like, He needed us in a heat wave to lift our, like, B.O. flowing from our armpits, singing off key in this room. And finally, the the uncreated God in all of heaven is like, now I feel satisfied because they're singing praises to me Sunday morning. I was so empty Saturday night. Now that it's Sunday morning, I feel whole and complete. Like, that's the God you serve. He's too small. He's way too small. My God has always been complete. My God has never lacked. He's never been not God. He has always been full. And we need to see that. We need to see that so that when we're over here, we don't try and take over being God. But man, you didn't create me to take from. You created me just so I could be with you. And then when sin entered the world, that desire to be like God, that destroyed our relationship and it broke your heart. And so you did whatever needed to restore that relationship, which is the cross. You lived the life we couldn't live according to the righteous law. You died the death that sin in us deserved to die. We deserve that death on the cross. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I've sinned. I deserve death. And you took it for me. And now, now you give life to anyone freely who would just put their faith in you. You did all this to restore relationship. You came down to Matthew 1. You promised your name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Fulfilled in 1 Peter 3.8. God died once the just for the unjust that he might bring us to himself. The goal of creation, the goal of the cross, the goal of Pentecost, the goal of the whole flipping book in your hand is relationship. And so what I'm doing when I'm being tempted to look at a website I shouldn't look at, when I'm being tempted to lie in a tax return bill, when I'm being tempted to be angry at someone and hold on to bitterness, when I'm being tempted to covet or be jealous, why would I entertain that? Why would I give birth to that? Why wouldn't I just surrender to God and choose God above that? Because I don't want that. That leads to death. But He leads to life. So I'm going to choose God. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose faith. And I'm going to choose God. It's a decision I've made. I'm going to choose God, but we need to rest in this. And I'll finish with this. The last thing I want to talk about, because sometimes it can sound like works, like, right? So, tomorrow morning, Dan, I've got to wake up and I've got to choose joy, and I've got to choose faith, and I've got to choose God. Three things. I can do that. Dan's a good Pentecostal preacher. All Pentecostal preachers have three points on a Sunday morning choose God, choose faith, choose joy. Okay, I can do that. Fantastic. I'm going to put a fourth point out there, and I'm going to rock your boat, because you haven't had a fourth point in a while, because Pentecostal <laughs> preachers don't have a fourth point. Number of three is perfect unity. Number of five is grace. Four, we, d- we don't even know, all right? We're not going to go there right now, but there's a fourth point this morning that is crucial. You are not to wake up tomorrow morning and muster up to choose joy and muster up to choose faith and muster up to choose God to try and impress God. The reason we naturally experience joy and naturally experience faith and naturally want to choose God is by resting in verse 18. Can we have verse 18 up, please? He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word We, out of all creation, became His prized possession. How do you wake up tomorrow morning and experience joy? How do you wake up tomorrow morning and faith is rising? How do you wake up tomorrow morning and want to choose God? You need to get now. You need to be reminded now that He chose you. Before you were good enough, before you did enough works, before you earned it, before you were amazing, He chose you. I love Ephesians chapter 2. If I can get Ephesians 2, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And not, that not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How good is that? Amen. But it's not just stopping there. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So hear me clearly. You are not saved and accepted and welcomed into the family of God through your works. You did nothing to earn that. That was all the work of God on the cross. And now he looks at you and like James 1.18 says, you're his prized possession. You are his workmanship. So you're not saved through works, but he works on you. He makes you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Verse 18, all of this is from God. It's a Bible. If you don't like it, take it up with the author. He, you don't, you're not saved by works, but you are His work created in Christ for good works. That's the mo- I need us to catch this. You are not saved, redeemed, restored by works. But you are. You are His prized possession. You are His work. And He's still working in you. Remember we spoke about in uh, Philippians 2.13, God is still working in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what pleases Him. He's still working on you for good works. What are these good works? On your worst day, joy. In your toughest time, faith. When, when there's so much temptation, I choose God above that. So you don't do these good works because of how amazing you are or you were raised in church or you've, you're the biggest giver to the building fund. That's, that's not why we do good works. We do good works as an overflow of knowing we are His good work. I'm really hoping inside you're all rejoicing. I know. That's... This is the biggest mindset shift I've had to give our entire church. And I'm talking people say 40 years with a doctor in theology. We don't do any good work to get to God. We don't do any good work to get an identity in God. We do all of our good works as an overflow of already being accepted in God. We do all of our good works as an overflow of already having an identity in God. That moment he, you're His workmanship, the moment He saves you, you couldn't be any more loved. You could leave here and plant 10 churches, they'll grow and boom and reach the nations. Hear me clearly, God won't love you any more then than He does now. God won't be any happier with you then than He is now. And that frees us tomorrow morning to be so overwhelmed at his goodness that I have joy now. My Monday might suck, but man, I am his workmanship. He wants a relationship with me. I'm his prized possession. Thank you, Jesus. So now I'm going to choose faith, because whatever comes tomorrow, I want him, and I believe he's good, and I believe he's for me, and I believe he is working all things together for good. Ah, hallelujah. Now I'm going to choose you over the temporary lusts of this world that give me temporary happiness but eternal death. So we choose Him, amen? Because He chose us. And what I want to do before I hand the mic back is I would love to pray with anyone who has never experienced that relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking about religion. I'm not asking about church. I'm not asking about any of that. I'm not saying if you've experienced religion, you own a Bible. You own every Hillsong album and you know the lyrics. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Amazing. God God be praised. You can sing one way later. But that's not what makes a Christian. What makes a Christian is someone who leans into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray with anyone who has never experienced that relationship with Jesus. And I also want to pray with people who have experienced religion and came in here calling themselves Christians this morning. However, by love and grace, the Holy Spirit has been softening and stirring your heart today. And I'm going to ask something really bold of you because... It's bold to make this admission, but something happened in your heart today where you realized that you were calling yourself Christian based off your uh, your religion or your works. I'm a Christian because I read the Bible. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I give. I'm a Christian because I serve. That's not what makes a Christian. What makes a Christian is someone who leans into the finished work of the cross, knows they're accepted, and then lives that life in relationship for the rest of their life. And so I want to see if there's anyone here by the love of the Holy Spirit, he's softened your heart today to realize that there's more for you. It's a relationship with Jesus. But it's going to take you to be bold. So can I ask you to close your eyes just before we finish? Thank you, God. If you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, you've never known how loved you are, and today you got it, you got that revelation. Or today you're here and you're like, I definitely was calling myself a Christian. But today I realized, I realized that I was just doing the works of Christianity without the Savior of Christianity, and I want Him. No one is looking around but me. No one, just me. If that's you, really quickly, can you just lift your hand? I'll see you can put it straight back down. That's all you've got to do while no one's looking around. Just lift your hand up and go, down. that's me. I want Jesus. I don't want religion. I want Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand high. Ten more seconds, if that's you. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, soften hearts. Well, God, we love you so much. And once again, God, we just thank you. We stop and we thank you with true adoration and praise in our heart. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. And thank you for working in us even now. I know that you've given revelation. I do not have the power to give any revelation. But Holy Spirit, I know you have today. And that revelation was so we could live for you more and more and more. That revelation was so we could lean into you more and more and more. So I pray the overflow of today is that we would be closer to you. We would trust you more. We'd push into you more. And even our worst day, we'd have joy. And our hardest day, we'd have faith. And the most tempting day, we'd see that you are more satisfying than any lust in this world. In Your name we pray, Amen. Love you, Church. Thanks, Pastor
1: Dan. Hey, um, that was really good the second time as well, man. Um, so you know you all need to go back and podcast that because one time through isn't enough. That was just so good, and I I'll send a Pastor Dan, in the car that uh, I really feel like that's a word for us as a campus and as a church. And um, there's some real truth for each one of us in there that you need to take home, you need to meditate on, you need to just let God do a work in you and set you free and help you step into joy and faith and choosing Him because He already chose you. He already loves you. It's awesome. Hey, we're just going to take up a love offering right now. Um, if uh, those... the just could get that ready for us that'd be amazing uh and this is a really comes from a place of of honor we want to honor the man of god who brought the word to us and uh, if you didn't come prepared, then you can write an IOU and put that in the church account this week. You can do that via PayPal, uh, sorry, Pay Push PushPay uh, on your phone right now. Or you can just grab a, if you want to put up your hand, we'll give you a little credit card slip as well. Um, but yeah, we just want to really honour Pastor Dan and, and the work that they're doing up in Corrumbin. And that um, was such, just such a great word. We just thank you for speaking to the young adults of our, of our city as well for the Young Adult Conference. And uh, I've heard nothing but amazing things taking place. I'm going to secretly podcast that one as well uh, and, and and grab all of you. I think I might actually add C3 Corumbent to my own personal podcast list, man, so I can just, you know, follow along on your journey. It's so good. So can we take that up right now? Uh, I'm just going to pray and we'll do that. God, we thank you so much for the word that was spoken today. Uh, but but even more so for the, the the man and the woman that you have made for Dan and Hannah. And we just want to bless them and honour them and thank them for uh, for just blessing us, for taking time out of their their week, their schedule, their lives, their family life, to come and bless our city and our church. And so we just want to bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Thanks guys, if you want to take that up now. Pastor Mel. Pastor Darren. I loved that. Thank you, Pastor Dan. You know, they talk about the Word being life-giving. You know, what the world tells us isn't life-giving. We know it doesn't work, but you can read a hard Scripture like that and yet feel like you've just been given life. So that was amazing. So let's, hey, let's join and let's have morning tea together. Remember, um, church prayer on Tuesday. We'd love to see you there. Um, Hey, church. Let's wake up tomorrow and remember that we are prized possessions of Jesus. Have an awesome week.
0: Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.